text I'll be reading from this morning is found in the book of John, chapter 1. This is uh, one of the stories that it's like, it's obvious as you're reading it that a day or two happens in a few paragraphs. And I love those kinds of stories because it helps us use what they call in, in the African American church our sanctified imagination, which is this great, beautiful theological idea that God will use our imagination in a holy way. And so, as we're reading this, let your imagination guide you into understand, like imagining what happens in the in-between time, the time that isn't talked about in this passage. So, we're going to start with verse 35, and we're going to end with verse 46 of John chapter 1. The next day, John was standing again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus walking along, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard what he said, and they followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and saw them following, he asked, What are you looking for? And they said, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? He replied, Come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. And he led him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus wanted to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, Jesus, Joseph's son from Nazareth. And Nathanael responded, can anything from Nazareth be good? Philip said, come and see. The word of God, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And may God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation. May God give us wisdom and courage as we try to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Today's sermon is going to look a little bit different. It's going to be our sermon, not just my sermon. We're going to kind of essentially preach this thing together because we're going to have some conversations. Before all the introverts get too nervous, I'm going to help you, like, guide you through the conversation. I'm not going to ask you to make small talk with people. I don't like small talk either. And before all of you extroverts getting excited, thinking you're going to get to take over the whole thing, you're not. Like, we're going to have a time limit on all of this. So just relax, everybody. Trust me, I'm going to take care of you as best as I can. So we're going to talk about finding our why. We're continuing what we started last week. And you might remember that last week, were here, we did two different things. One is I showed you Simon Sinek's what they call the golden circle, where you start in the center with why, and then the next circle out is, is how, and then the next circle out is what. And we talked about how most organizations and most people start with the why, and then get to the how, and then get to the why. But his example that he uses is Apple computers and how they start with why. To be a disruptive force, 
that rethinks the way things have always been done and challenges the status quo. That's their why. Their how is they just happen to make great computers that are appealing to the eye and are simple to use. And their what is, would you like to buy one? Right? And so we talk about how people buy why you do something, not what you do. And then I showed a video from a comedian who uh, does it, he's a Christian comedian, he does this break time thing where he stops in the middle of his thing and he just talks to the the audience. And he asked for this guy to sing the, the, core, the first verse to Amazing Grace. So the guy knew what he was singing and he sang it and it was pretty awesome. And then he gave him a story and he said, now just imagine that your uncle got out of prison and you got shot in the back. Like it's the whole hood version of the song and the guy closes his eyes like digs deep and sang and it was really really powerful because he knew why he was singing it not just what he was singing I got some pushback last week from people Kathy namely Delgado <laughs> that um, the sermon caused a little bit of anxiety for some people named Kathy namely Delgado in that like we just kind of stopped, like you gotta know your why, and then stop there. And so we're gonna start talking about how you find your why over these next few weeks. And that's what we're going to do today by having conversations and practicing with one another. So Kathy, it's gonna be okay. You don't have to be ahead of the choir all the time. Like you can, you can, you can rest with us sometimes also. <clears throat> Finding a why and living into your why is a radical. And, and you all are radicals because 80% of people in the United States are doing something this morning that you're not. 80% of people in the United States are either at home watching the news shows, the news talk shows, or they're watching like NFL Today, or they're at brunch with their friends, or they may, you may be like my next door neighbor who's out riding his mountain bike right now. I was leaving this morning, he was putting his mountain bike in his truck, and I'll be honest, I was a little jealous. But you're different. You're radical. You're going against the flow of culture, and there's something really powerful and strong about that. And I wonder why. I wonder why you come here today, and I hope that you're wondering why. So I'm going to invite you to be a little bit vulnerable this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something that I've never asked any church that I've preached at before to do. I'm going to ask you to talk to people you don't know very well. So in a few minutes, I'm gonna find, have you find a partner that's not who you came with this morning and isn't somebody that you know very well. And so if you're somebody like Kathy who knows everybody, talk to yourself, I guess. But I'm gonna ask you to find people to talk to around you. And the thing that I want you to share with one another is this, the moment that you have in this faith community. And if you're new here, Use your old faith community or your faith community of the town that you live in that you're not visiting to or, or like a different experience from a different time. But if, if this is your place, talk about that moment where you felt fulfilled and enriched and loved and that the presence of God was real to you in that moment. And if you don't know how to get there, start with trying to finish this, this sentence. 
I remember one particular moment when, and then you add in after that. So I'm gonna give you 45 seconds to think about what that would be. I remember one particular moment when, and then at the end of 45 seconds, I'm gonna have you get up and find somebody else to talk to. And you're gonna have two minutes to share your moment with them. And they're gonna have two minutes to share their moment with you. Does that make sense? 45 seconds starting now. I remember one particular moment when you're not talking, you're thinking right now. Yeah, you're not talking, you're thinking to yourself silently. No, you're not talking yet. You have 45 seconds to think about. I remember one particular moment when. Find somebody you don't know very well. You have about 30 seconds to do this. <laughs> don't knock anybody
feel awkward? <laughs> yeah, honest people were feeling awkward. Uh, any extrovert was like, let's keep doing this longer. Yeah, I saw you. I saw you. I, I couldn't get you to stop praying. So, hey, what? The thing is, um, when you get to those moments, it helps you find your why, right? So, like the story that I told Brandon was, I remember this one particular moment that I was preaching here. It was the very first Sunday that I was the pastor of this church, and I was standing. I was actually I was standing right here, but this curved part wasn't here, and the wall was like ended right there. And there was a guy sitting right where Chuck White is. And as I was preaching, it was the 815 service, he was crying hard the whole time. And I was like, man, this dude really misses Travis. I'm not gonna do very well. I preached the sermon and I go stand by the back doors, not the ones that are there, the ones that used to be right there. And he walks up to me, and with tears in his eyes, he's like, Pastor, we baptized you. And he had had an experience the night before in a swimming pool that led him to kind of being awake all night long, to having a moment of confirmation as I was preaching that he needed to be baptized. So I got the whistle to call everybody back together and bring him in and baptize him. And it would happen, like, right here, the very first Sunday that I preached here. And I walked out of here feeling fulfilled and trusting that God really had led me and my family to this place. And it was amazing. It gets to my why. My why is I desperately want to connect people to this loving presence of God that changed my life. And that I believe can change other people's lives also. Like, if I didn't believe that, I would do something else. Because there are a lot of jobs that are a lot less stressful that pay more. But I believe deeply that my calling is to help people connect to that. So we're going to do one more thing. We're going to get to our why statements, and we're not going to share this time. This time is just for you to kind of sit quietly and think about this. I tested this out with Stuart so that, and it worked with him, but that doesn't mean it's going to So I think, I think a good life statement has two parts. To blank, so that blank. So I was talking with Stuart about this, and I was like, let's try it out with Morningstar. You come to Morningstar to blank, so that blank. And I said, think about before you ever worked here, when you were just coming to church and John Moore was the pastor. He was like, I came to Morningstar to hear the word of God so that I could be a better person. So his why for coming here is to be a better person. To blank, so that blank. A few years ago, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who was taking food to a friend of theirs, who that friend needed food and was needing some help. And they had prepared, uh, he and his family had prepared the food, and they had gotten it together, and they were about to leave their house, and they get a phone call from another friend, so it was like this triad friendship, from another friend saying, hey, you got to take more food over there because they have family in town that they didn't know was coming, and they need some more food. And this friend of mine's wife said that she, like, heard a, a phrase that I had said in my sermon the Sunday before, saying it's gonna be okay, like just do whatever you gotta do. I don't, I don't know what the phrase was, but I didn't say it, that's the point. Like, I never said what she said, she heard me say it. 
But she went to church and she heard the voice of God say something to her that helped her in that moment move from anxiety to peace. So her why might be, I come to church to hear God speak to my soul so that I can move from anxiety to peace. Right? Like it's richer and it's juicier. So because we're here this morning and you're part of the 20% who actually show up to church every once in a while, I want you to think about why you came here. So do it in a two-part thing. So that, wait, 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 I forgot. Yeah. I come to Morningstar. I came to Morningstar this morning so that blank. Does that make sense? I came to Morningstar this morning. That's the first part. So that blank. Does that make sense? All right. Take about 45 seconds to think about that. All right, any crazy person want to share their statement? in this setting. So in this gospel passage that we read, 
I heard a sermon a few weeks ago that was on this passage, and the pastor who was preaching the sermon said that in witnessing there are a few things that have to happen for it to be good witnessing, right? The first is that it has to be natural. So what we did is forced. It's not a natural way of doing it. John the Baptist wasn't standing there like just like looking for ways to twist and turn the conversation so that he could point the disciples who were standing there with him to Jesus. Now, they were his disciples. They weren't Jesus' disciples. And they were all hanging out. And he, I do not believe that he was looking to twist the conversation. A thing happened. Jesus walked by, and he recognized the new Jesus, and new Jesus was the Lamb of God, the Messiah, and he was like, i got to point this out. It's natural. It happens. But also, he's open and looking for truth. So, when I was a youth pastor, I came back from church camp or something one time, and uh, we didn't have kids yet, and Michelle goes, hey, by the way, the Mormons are coming by to talk to you on Tuesday at 3 o'clock. And I was like, What? And she was like, yeah, they came by to talk to me, and I didn't want to talk to them. But I said, you probably would want to. So, so I set up an appointment with them. So I had a few days, and like I was, I was prepping, right? Like I got out all the books, and I read all the stuff, and I was ready for them to come. Like I was loaded, and they show up. I've been out doing some yard work, and I had this plan in place. So they show up, and I'm like, hey, guys, this is how this is going to go. Come on in. Uh, you're going to open with prayer, you got about a minute to do that, and then you've got four minutes to tell me what you came here to tell me, and then I've got four minutes to tell you what I want to tell you since you're here, and you have one minute to rebut me, I have one minute to rebut you, and then I'll pray and then you go, because i got some stuff to do. So it was all going to take about 10 to 15 minutes. Two and a half hours later, they're leaving, and guess what? Nothing had changed in either of us. It was a forced conversation that wasn't natural, that we were trying to manipulate the conversation in order to win. Good witnessing, it's just natural. You just have to be open for the opportunity. The second thing is that it's relational. So it's natural and it's relational. Notice The first person that we see go and get anybody is Andrew. And who does Andrew go and find? His brother. It's a, like, it's a relational theme. They worked together. We know that they fished together all night long, most of the time. They probably had lots of conversations about this Messiah person, and they were watching for him and looking for him. And Andrew's like, it's just natural and it's relational that I would go and talk to my brother about it. It's kind of like tomorrow morning when you're at work, somebody will say to you, what'd you do this weekend? Or this Thursday or Friday, somebody is going to say to you, what are you going to do this weekend? It's natural, like it's just conversation. Now you could say like, I went and watched Crucis and Mayfield play on Friday night. I cleaned up my garage on Saturday, went on a date with my wife and got up and went to church, and then I watched the Chiefs beat whoever the Vikings. Right? Like, and then they may be like, wait, what, say that? You, church? I, I would have never known you'd go to church. How would I? You know, like, you all, they would know, obviously. Like, you live the lives that show that. But here's the thing. It's just natural. And it's relational. And then the next part is that it's invitational. Two different times in this passage, 
The words are spoken, come and see. Rabbi, where are you staying? Come and see. Can anything good come from El Paso? Come and see. Right? Like, we talk about things and we invite people into what we think is important. If I were holding a baby, I used this illustration last week. If I were holding a baby and I'm looking at it and I'm like, I wasn't last week, it was when I was practicing the sermon. <laughs> holding this baby and I'm feeling joy because I'm holding her and I'm looking in her eyes and you all can't see her. But then I turn like that and you get to see her and she's like making those little spit bubbles and cooing and making all the noise. What would you do? Because our joy is shared, and I've just invited you in. Like, if I'm just holding her and looking at her, I'm keeping it for myself. But as soon as I do this, every guy in the room goes, oh. Because I'm inviting you to share my joy. It's invitational. And that comes from this place of our why. Right? Like, why you're here this morning, why you came here, that moment that you were remembering earlier. Friends, the world is hungry for that. The world is dying of spiritual thirst for the things that you have found. And we need to be sharing those things with one another. This isn't like a sermon where it's like, go out and invite people to church, like whatever, I don't care. Because I don't think that it's about growing this institution. I think what we do when we witness to the things that we're experiencing that are good in our lives is we're sharing things that are good and the world needs that. And as we do that, we will find more of God. I really do. I know that to be true. When I witness my faith outside of this environment, I find more of God. And I just want you all to experience that also. It's a spiritual discipline. We'll talk more about our whys. My hope is that over the next three weeks, you will start to be able to develop your own rule of life, your own way of living out prayer, presence, gift, service, and witness, and that your whys will inform all of that. And that together, our collective why will shape the future of this church. More on that next week.